Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Soberland. I am your host, Lindsay. I apologize that it's been a while since the Soberland episode has come out. I decided to take a little break from the podcast. Uh, I feel like when something you enjoy starts to become somewhat of a chore, that's a sign that it's time to take a break and to reset. So that's what I did. I also was working on another podcast project with my best friend, Gabby, who's been a guest on this podcast several times. We started a more of a fun, lighthearted podcast um, called The Rest is Still Unwritten, where we recap episodes of the new season of The Hills on MTV. So if you enjoy the reality TV portion of this podcast, I encourage you to go check that out. It's on Spotify and iTunes. It's called The Rest is Still Unwritten. So today's guest, I'm really excited to introduce him. He is a friend of mine who is sober. Welcome, Eric. Thanks, Lindsay. Hi, Eric. Welcome to Soberland. Thanks so much. Eric and I met on the internet. (laughs) Okay. May have been a dating app. May not. Actually, I've had people on here that I've met on dating Mm -hmm. apps before, so you're not the first. So it's not that weird. Okay. It's not weird. Um... Yeah, we met on a we met on a dating app and found out that we were both sober. We had that commonality, and I think that's I what I saw your Soberland T-shirt right away. You saw the Soberland T-shirt, yeah. What did you think that was when you first saw it? Just like I had no idea a theme park that I yes, a <laughs> am very creating. exciting theme park. Yeah, so that caught your attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've become friends, and uh, you are sober as well. I am. Yeah, I've been clean and sober. Just over three years, going on three and a half. Congratulations. And it, usually people in NA say clean. Mm-hmm. People in AA say sober. I just combine them, say clean and sober, just so we know that clean and sober mean the same thing. Yeah, so you are sober for mostly, your main thing was drugs. And so you go to NA, which is a little bit different than most of the guests that I've had on the podcast. A lot of People on here struggle mainly with alcohol and go to AA. So I'm excited to have a little bit of a different perspective and hear about. And don't get me wrong. I had some fun with alcohol, too. Yeah, I mean, they usually go hand in yeah. hand. but um, And we, all, we call them all a drug in NA, you know. Al- yeah, alcohol is a drug. a drug. Right. I can see that. So I, I want to get right into your story, if that's cool. Sure. Can you tell me kind of the beginning? Like, when was the first time... You was it? You do drank alcohol for the at first, or did you go straight into drugs? What was the? I went straight to my arm. <laughs> straight for the, for needle, the needle. At eight years old. Yeah. No, not really. I actually also never used needles. Okay, so going back in time, I, I don't know. I think it was a pretty average beginning for me. Um, I think I had my first few beers with a friend of mine at like a New Year's party and. It was just like... How old were you? Uh, I was 12. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Is that is that young? I mean, I think when you just said you were at like a New Year's party, I expected more adults-like Well, situation. it was an adult party, okay. and we were just the kids there but, that okay. snuck down and had some of the beers in the fridge, gotcha. right? And I was hammered off of, you know, two and a half beers. Mm-hmm. And I remember liking it so much that I was like, let's do it again the next night. So we did it again the next night, and... From there, it was, I knew that I enjoyed this. Um, but I was actually thinking before the podcast on on some of the more, like, 
memorable moments that I've had on when I realized that, okay, this is something different than what my friends are doing. Um, and one of the big ones, um, I didn't realize that, you know, I was an addict at the time, but in hindsight, this was like one of the big moments for me of, of realizing that there was something going on. Uh, I had a friend of mine over, um, I think I was 15 at the time and we had started doing, uh, these pills called, uh, Coracidin, Coracidin cough and cold. I've never even heard of this. Yeah, they were just over-the-counter cough pills at the time. Now you've got to, you know, ask the pharmacist to get them for you. Uh, also known as Little Red Devils or Triple C's. I think it, it was a thing for a little short while. Okay. Um, but we had done them once, and I was like, I have to do this again. What, what, like, what did it make you feel like? It was... I lost blocks of memory, uh, made you feel very out of yourself. Um, it's like relaxed. Mm, I wouldn't say relaxed. Oh. I would say just out of your head. Okay. You know, in a different plane of existence. Mm. Just an escape, really. Okay. Um, I remember like stumbling and feeling drunk, but also feeling like a little bit high and giggly and just weird. Yeah. So how um, old were you here? Well, the first time I did that was probably like 14-ish. Oh. And then 15, um, I heard that you could get the same thing by drinking cough syrup. So we found cough syrup in my parents' house when they weren't there. Looked at the ingredient list and found the drug called dextromethorphan, which is the thing in triple C. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, again, already at age 15, I'm looking at cough syrup bottles yeah. for dextromethorphan in the ingredient so I can get fucked up. Right. Uh, we drank not a common 15 year old activity, <laughs> at least I suppose I not. Um, so we drank the cough syrup and I proceeded to puke mine out all over the floor. And there was this big gross stain like outside my bedroom. And I remember thinking not, I wasn't concerned about the stain. I wasn't concerned about them finding that out. What I was concerned about was that the drugs were no longer in me. Uh. And I remember thinking, well, fuck now I'm not going to get high. And it was, it was one of those just panic moments of, I, I need this. I need this right now. So I had my driver's permit at the time. So I said to my friend, I said, hey, Sam, let's uh, take the van that's still here, my parents' van, and I'll just drive us to CVS. And so we did that. No driver's license yet. Just drove down to CVS. <laughs> she went in and stole the pills. Oh, wow. And I took a handful of them, went back home, and that worked. I mean, I, I got loaded. Um, and then we went to Caro's with my parents, and I had a turkey pot pie. I remember this very <laughs> clearly. <laughs> while um, you were, like, high from While these? I was just out of my mind. Yeah. And my mom, when I relayed the story to her recently, she w- had been playing dumb, and, you know, she d- refused to think anything was wrong Mm -hmm. Uh, but my dad definitely saw it Um, and that is side note because he's an alcoholic he's been sober 13 years Mm -hmm. so he could spot it I think yeah Um, yeah and then I made up a story about why I had taken the van which was made obvious once I said I had taken a bunch of pills to my dad 
Oh, you told him. I told him. Yeah, he took me outside of Caro's. Sorry, I got sidetracked. Took me outside of Caro's and asked me, "Are you are you high?" And I said, "Well, yes." And he's like, "Did you smoke weed?" And I was like, "No, I just I just took pills, Dad." <laughs> and it was there's this weird there's this weird relief on his face because I just don't I don't think he registered like that that was as bad or something. Mm-hmm. Because okay. this was back, you know, when weed was illegal. and Weed was viewed as, like, really pretty bad. bad. Like, if you smoke weed, you've just thrown your whole life away. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you remember those, like, commercials? It was, like, this, it was, like, a, a cracked egg. It was, like, this is your brain on yes, drugs. I think that's, like, I probably do. around the same time. As yeah, or there's this body that, that, like, melts onto the couch or something. <laughs> so dramatic. Very. It's a different world now. Now there's billboards. It's like encouraging, encouraging you it. to yeah, yeah. smoke weed. It's like have it delivered to your door so yeah. you can melt on the couch. Right. So that was one story um, that in hindsight I realize now was a pretty obvious sign that, okay, you've got a an addiction battle in front of you. Right. Um, and then another one I was thinking about was, was more like when I came to terms with it myself um, because... You know, my dad went to rehab at one point. My mom would always insist that um, my dad was an alcoholic, but I would just be in denial about it. Um, but once I started going to college and drinking more, I was like, okay, I, I have an alcohol problem too, and I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. I actually kind of embraced it. And So well, in between when you were 15 and that first experience with drugs and college where you kind of realized you had a drinking problem were you just kind of consistently still doing drugs in that time frame or was it off like and on weekends or I went to a great um pretty structured private high school okay where I had activities all the time mm-hmm. um but I also had access to a lot of uh um Adderall okay Adderall Ritalin um and weed so I would do a lot of that and I got caught smoking weed actually and suspended and then drug tested for a year. Okay. So and you kind of couldn't get away with it there. Yeah. Well, and then I got caught with weed again in my car and had to be drug tested. So I guess, um, by dumb luck, I was held back from continuing to do drugs because I was being drug tested. Right. Okay. That helps. So then yeah. when you got to college, you had like that freedom where you weren't being right. drug tested or even like watched or lived with your parents or anything like that. Right. Yeah. 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 And I remember sitting in a car with a friend of mine, dear friend of mine, and we were just talking to each other about how the way we drink seems to be different than the way other people are drinking around us. Like it just, it feels much more, um, like a necessity? Do or die. Like it's a necessity. Yeah. Um, and we both were like, look, we both are alcoholics and we're just going to have to look out for each other and whatever happens will happen. And <laughs> that friend has actually just recently gotten sober as well. She's about eight months sober and I couldn't be more proud of her. Um, but it's it's just amazing to look back, you know. It's funny, like years. two alcoholics trying to look out for each other. Yeah, <laughs> like, <right. laughs> like I had a, I had friends like Gabby that looked out for me, but they were normally like pretty coherent, you know, when I was blackout. But it's funny right. to think of two alcoholics just struggling, like well, basically gasping for air at yes. the same time, but trying to help. There's a lot of examples where we did try to look out for each other. Yeah. Um, 
But really what it was is us mumbling stuff to the other people we were with to look out for that person. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys just like accepted it, but didn't like make any change or try to like cut back or anything. You're just like, well, let's just do this together. (laughs) Yeah. This is what it is. Yeah. And then I went off. um, So I started at city college and then went to Berkeley. And um, so I was away from family and friends that I had known. Um, so kind of started with a whole new group of people. Um, and it's funny, kind of found another group of people that there was one enabler, like caretaker, and then a couple other partier friends, and then a couple others that would, you know, come in for the good time and then leave. So it's, it's almost like I created the same set of friends Mm. in the new place. Yeah. Um, where was I going with this? So now at Berkeley, were you continuing to drink? Did it get worse there? Oh, yeah. So that's what I was going to say is that I think I, I embraced it. Like I wanted it. I, mm. I wanted to make that part of my identity. Like I felt like Being that Being the was, guy that's like fucked up all the time? Yeah. That was, there was some weird source of difference and pride and like if I get to do something good at it can be this. Mm, Yeah. I definitely am familiar with that feeling. And I was reliable in the sense that I would always have booze Mm -hmm. or I'd always be down to drink booze with you. And then, uh, once I got to college, um, to Berkeley, I, that kind of graduated to Coke. And that was like my first, real addiction to something other than alcohol. Um, and again, I, I wanted it. I had to like seek it out and kind of make it a priority to Mm. be an addict, um, or to be, um, the person who always had that drug around. Um, so Coke was your first drug that you were using like pretty consistently. Yeah. Um, and again, I wanted to be the person that always had it. Yeah, and the fun guy. The fun guy, right? <laughs> the one that was reliable and could always provide. So what kind of trouble did that get you into with the Coke? Just like staying up all night? Did like your grades suffer or relationships or anything like that? I mean, shockingly, I managed to keep things together mm-hmm. pretty well. Like I got straight A's in uh, City College and went to Berkeley and got great grades. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kept it together. Okay. Um, and then... Well, let's see what happened. Um, yeah, and then senior year, it started to slip a little bit. Um, grades started to slip. Class attendance started to slip. I remember I had, I couldn't even register for classes my first semester of senior year because I had like a block on my registration because of being getting in trouble for alcohol or drugs or something. Oh, okay. And had to go to counseling wow, this is something that I don't even think about. Like it's a, I haven't thought about this in a long time. Yeah, what happened there? Well, they required me to go to counseling and I hadn't done it. So I couldn't register for classes for the first two weeks. So did, I was like, just going. Did you, were you like publicly intoxicated or something? Or did No, something I think it was, I had lived in the dorm or like the, you know, the transfer dorm the first time I, mm-hmm. I moved up there. So I think maybe one of the RAs caught me or something a couple of times. Oh, okay. 
it, I mean, it wasn't, it was kind of harmless. Right. But still they put a block on registration. Mm. Um, so there was, there was that, which um, I didn't see as that big of a deal or an issue. It was just one other thing in the way. Mm. And then, then it started to go pretty downhill. Like I think that whole summer before senior year, I, had, I was doing coke every day and oh, wow. um, brought, I remember I drove a, a U-Haul to Berkeley, not having slept for the past couple of nights and had just like two big eight balls in the drawer of the U-Haul and stopped at the side of some freeway and was just using in the U-Haul and it was kind of sad. Yeah. And, and were you still dark. And were you still drinking with, with this? Cause I feel like Coke and alcohol go together. Like they were, oh, yeah. they're like made for each other. They definitely are made for each it's other. Like whenever, cause be, I know like whenever I would be like day drinking and t- getting tired or whatever, it's just like do a little line and then, Oh, yes. okay. Uh, yes. I'm going to stay up all night. Yes. It's just, I mean, it, it's a recipe for disaster, but it also helps you to keep going with your addiction. Yes. And in fact, I got, completely lost in the U-Haul because I was out of my head and didn't know where the fuck I was going. Mm. Um, took a wrong turn somewhere and ended up in suburbia, like an hour away from where I was supposed to be going. <laughs> and <laughs> Great. I stopped at a gas station and picked up a couple Sparks. Do you remember Sparks? The energy drinks? The but did they alcoholic have alcohol? energy drinks. They were kind of like Four Locos, which they I were was... were the precursor to Four Locos. Yeah, I yep. used to be very into Four Locos. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because those yep. would give you energy, energy, but they'd also, they had a lot of booze in them, yeah. like a ton. And so it's kind of the equivalent. It's, of Yeah. Doing. It's kind of like if you don't have Coke, you drink a Sparks. So you have the benefit of, right. I think some people died. And so they finally stopped right. drinking them. That's probably true. <laughs> you had like heart attacks and stuff. Yeah. So after doing Coke all the way up towards the Bay area, I stopped and picked up a couple of those oh. to get me the rest of the way naturally. Yeah. Who needs coffee when you have sparks? <laughs> I made it. Eventually, I made it like hours later. But that's how I started my senior year. And I think that, I haven't, again, I haven't even thought about this in so long, but. Um, kind of just represents how you've been rest of Yeah, that's how I started that year. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, wow, let's see. I mean, I did some heroin in senior year. Yeah, so don't, like, casually brush over that. <laughs> <laughs> like, so how, what was the first time when that you did heroin? Uh, a friend of mine introduced me to it. She just said, come over, let's try it. And so at the, that point, had you already done so many other drugs that you were like, why not try that? Drinking I think pretty regularly? there was still that um, I want to take it all the way mm-hmm. mentality. Like, what's the point of doing this if I'm not going to experience it right. 100%? Um, I wanted to be the best at, I don't know, doing wild stuff. Or sometimes what I've heard is like the other drugs stop working. So then you do want it something more powerful. Yeah, I've heard that too. That wasn't the case in this. In okay. This. You just drugs were working. They were working great. You just wanted more and yeah. try more things. Yeah, exactly. So your friend introduced you. How does that conversation go down? Like, hey, you want to come over and do some heroin tonight? Pretty much. Yeah. It was as informal as that. And then we did it. 
So, what? So, where did you do it? Uh, we went to her apartment, and um, she got out the tin foil and the lighter, and showed me which side of the tin foil to use. Although I'm not really convinced after using for a long time that it makes much difference. Um, how to get the right straw and showed me how to chase the line down the tinfoil. And it, you know, at this point in my using and in my life, heroin wasn't what I was after. Mm. I was after the party, the life of the party, um, excitement and being up. Um, so it didn't grab my attention quite the way as it did later in life. Um, so does that mean like you tried it and you were like, okay, that was cool, but then kind of left it alone for a little while after that? Well, I tried it, but because it didn't grab my attention the way Coke and ecstasy did, um, it was more of a side hobby mm. now and then. Okay. Um, so, I, you know, I would get it when I could, when people were going to pick it up, or I'd use it if it was around. Um, I don't think I did it more than a couple days in a row at one point, you know. Um, but I was still using Coke pretty much every day. And then oh, you didn't even, you just casually mentioned ecstasy too. Is that something you were Oh, doing? yeah, a lot of ecstasy. Okay. A lot of ecstasy. Uh, and then... Which makes sense because that's another big party drug. Right. And that was definitely what you was interesting to you. Definitely. Okay. Yeah, and at this point, um, actually, I, I had started using heroin more and a very close friend of mine saw that happening and he had already kind of dealt with me being... Um, a, a little bit unpleasant with the cocaine and just kind of not the same person. Mm -hmm. um, and he said to me, look, if, if you go down this route, I can't be your friend anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, And he was like my best friend. Oh, wow. Um, and he had his mom call me. So I guess I'm playing down the heroin at this point, but it was enough for close friends to say, dude, you're this is this is the wrong direction. Yeah. So for whatever reason, probably cause I had plenty of other drugs to go to, I, I stopped with the heroin. Okay. Um, and I stopped mostly with the cocaine for my second semester of school. Um, because of what your friend had said? No, because I had overdosed right before Christmas and you're leaving out some huge things there's here. Just, yeah. Okay. We can go back to that one if we want, but I want to make sure we have time to like get to the rest of it. Oh, I mean, yeah, we have as much time as we need. I just okay. want to, I think it's important to cover, you know, or at least give some examples as to like things like overdosing that happened to show what a power this had over you and how scary True. it got. So. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, and I haven't really put a lot of these things on a timeline in a while, so they kind of bleed into one another. So it's actually kind of helpful to put them all in order. I'm glad that we could be here yeah. to help you do that. <laughs> so can we go back to the overdose? It was yeah. before, I'm 
You said you said it was around Christmas, so yeah. like it was the second semester then of your senior year. Yeah. So what happened? Let's see. I think I think what I had done was I realized I needed a break, and I stopped drinking and using. And a friend of ours at the time was sober, and he went to AA. And I had been to AA previously because that's what the court made me do when I, you know, in teen court when I got in trouble in high school. Mm. So I kind of knew the um, the routine to go. So I did that for a couple weeks, thinking, "Oh, this will, you know, set me set me back straight and give me some breathing room." Um, so what happened was I think I went in and turned in a paper or like I took a final or something, came back at 10 in the morning feeling like, okay, it's been enough. <laughs> and you say the break was a few hours? No, <laughs> no, it was two weeks, oh, two weeks, two okay, weeks okay, okay. of being clean and sober. Gotcha. Yes. Um, and then took a final for a couple hours and came back at 10 a.m. and was just like, all right, I'm ready. Okay. Or it was in early in the morning. I don't know if it was 10. Um, uh, so I opened the fridge and had a beer. And then it was I was just gone from there. I drank all day, found Coke. I think I even still had it in my drawer. It wasn't like I was ever going to give it up. Mm. Um, I got a, a bottle of liquor um, that day is pretty hazy, but I think I went back and just kept doing coke all night by myself in my room. I think a friend had come over, but he had crashed on the couch. It was like an acquaintance, somebody I didn't really know. Um, and I, I don't really know what happened. I just remember waking up in the morning, which was really only like a couple hours after coming back and I had vomited everywhere all over the bed all over myself um I couldn't breathe like I couldn't breathe Mm. so Lee somehow I got Lee's attention which is a friend of mine from college um and he just looked at me for a minute and called the ambulance and um that's that's really all I remember um and then I remember being at the hospital and like with you know IV and stuff and them saying you gotta you gotta cool it on that I think the official diagnosis from them was dehydration oh yeah I've actually had a few of those. So <laughs> <laughs> that's what they called it. And then I came back home and I don't remember what I did when I got back. Probably started drinking again, but who knows. Um, so that was that was a catalyst for me to stop with the cocaine. Okay. At least mostly. Like I wasn't doing it every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I just went to ecstasy. And, like, my entire life revolved around waiting for the weekend so I could party at the weekend and drink and use. It's so funny. I've I never really got into ecstasy because I think, for me, it's associated with, like, 
EDM and raves and things like that, which was like totally never my scene. Yeah. Is that, am I correct in thinking that or what? Yeah. I mean, I think it definitely is. Okay. It definitely is. Um, but it doesn't have to be. It's okay. just a, just, you know, makes you feel great for whatever. Like you could take it and go to like a house party or something. Oh, yeah. Okay. I took it in many inappropriate situations okay. where the goal was not to come over and take ecstasy. It was to like go to an art gal or something like that. Yeah. And then a lot of people I've heard say that sex is like, a different experience on ecstasy. Is that true? Or is, th- is that something just like sex I, in the city made up? <laughs> mm, I remember having a memorable experience. Okay. Um, but the person I was with doesn't actually remember it. So, oh. so I mean, there's can't no... Can't be that memorable. I mean, yeah. To me, I'd rather have some like real human connection with someone, emotional connection. Yeah, I agree. Than- finished the year strong and graduated. And when I graduated, I remember feeling... Um, really great. Like I, I accomplished something really important to me. And, uh, I remember quitting cigarettes like just that day because I felt good about mm-hmm. who I was and what I'd accomplished. So, you know, I'd been smoking the last however many years, not that long, but long enough to make it difficult to quit. Mm-hmm. And then at the time I had started seeing someone who called me out on a lot of this shit. So she wouldn't put up with my being a drunken idiot. Like it wasn't fun to her. It wasn't funny. It was sad. Um, it kind of shined a light on the kind of the sadness of it Mm -hmm. and made me think twice about it a little bit. Like, okay, it's time to be an adult now. So that, that helped me like readjust my priorities a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I mean, still we're only at age 21 at this point. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So we've got a few years between then and the worst of it. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, so maybe I'll just gloss over like middle middle period a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Just like, what were you doing then? Still using drugs? I mean, I was using drugs consistently, uh, with these kind of like on and off breaks where something would happen. And that's, I mean, that's what it sounds like. Yeah. yeah. I'd have like, so the next eight years or so were pretty up and down, um, with drug use and alcohol use. I think for the most part I had grown out of the um, take a bunch of ecstasy and do a bunch of Coke or mm-hmm. whatever nights. Like I had a few of those still, like if I went out with my friends and it was just me and them, mm-hmm. I would go all, go all out. Okay. Um, but I had, you know, I found something I was really passionate about, which was cooking. So I was training to be a chef and, that was filling to me. Um, so I didn't go quite as hard on the hard drugs. I mean, it's a very, um, the culture around that is a lot of drinking. Mm -hmm. And so I did do that. Um, but again, I've always managed to keep it together for the most part. There were, there were quite a few moments that 
that like highlighted that it was still there, like still creeping under the surface. Like I would black out and crash my bike and couldn't move my arms for like a week um, just because I drank too much. Or like your motorcycle be, bike, not no, like my my bicycle bike. I wasn't. I didn't have a motorcycle back then. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Um, or uh, I would take way too much E and Coke with a friend when I went out and end up talking to some homeless guy and giving him cocaine until 2 a.m. and then go back home. Um, there was one of those. Just a few of these like acting out nights of yeah real absurd. So it wasn't like every night, but there yeah. was they would come up sporadically. Right. Okay. And I always like to keep pills around. That was that was like my fallback. Mm. Like I felt better if there was a bottle of some sort of I don't know. I, yeah, I totally know Vicodin that feeling. Or, like or I would feel better all or something. If I didn't have like alcohol in the house, I like I right. couldn't I couldn't do that. Yeah. I was and, ha- yeah, definitely. Even and if I still I wasn't, had alcohol through the, this whole time. Definitely. It, I remember you're just reminding me of a feeling because I would always like get more like wine than I needed. I would get like two or three bottles because I knew I'd probably only drink like a bottle and a half by myself, but I didn't want to, to see like an yeah. empty bottle at the yeah. end of the night because that was like really scary. It was like, I just, yeah. yeah, so I know that feeling. It's yeah, the panic like, of it about to run out. Like a comfort where, blanket or something. Yeah. Like Now I'm like that with ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> me too. But yeah, so, um, so you had... Yeah, where other people are like, so we'll run out. It's out of. It's not literally the end of the world. But yeah. I was diagnosed with um, a, a very bad inflammatory bowel disease, and that started to overtake my life. And it got so bad to the point where I had to get major surgeries. Um, there was a period where I got morphine prescribed to me just to deal with the pain. And as long as I didn't feel it, I didn't have to think about it. And then it just got worse. Um, so eventually it got so bad that, yeah, I had to get surgery. Um, I had my colon taken out of me, um, all six feet of it. And that required some serious pain meds. And I remember, um, at one point during the surgeries, I had taken an oxy like early in the morning and fell back asleep for like an hour and woke up and I remember feeling that like this was like this was the feeling that life is all about like there's no other point to this world other than what I'm feeling right now wow that's powerful and if I could feel like this then everything would be okay and it is you know that's I haven't felt like that to this day, I don't think. Um, But that's the moment where I realized that I was in love with opiates and that those were the, those were the golden ticket, Mm. not Coke, not ecstasy, not alcohol, because none of those drugs did what opiates could do for me. Um, And that was just to make everything okay, no matter what. Wow. So surgeries went through. I asked for way more oxy than I needed. You and know, they gave like, it to you? Yeah. 
Yeah, they just kept giving it to me. So great. Because this is like a huge... It's a huge thing It's like the number one killer right now in America because people are just giving them out like it's candy. Yep. Yeah, I went through my my bottle and asked for another one and they said, okay. Um, So getting off that was hard. I mean, but I had to do it. And at that point, I didn't really identify it with with like kicking or I didn't identify it with... um, like getting off the drug. I just knew that I was running out of this thing that I liked a lot. Mm -hmm. And so I had to, you know, um, taper it down and make it last as long as possible. Right. I didn't, I didn't think of it as, Oh, I got to kick Oxy. Okay. Was it because it was given you by a doctor and it was for health reasons? Is that why you had? Okay. Yeah. It was a, it was Why did you have a different perception of this drug? Well, that's why I think is because it was, you know, it was, it was for my pain. It was right. for my surgery pain. Okay. So then you stopped using those? Yep. But I had a taste for them and opiates. So from then on out, I would keep my eyes open for any opportunity to get Vicodin, Tramadol. Mm-hmm. Um, I would steal it from my stepmother's drawers because she had a nice collection of so it's pills. It's always the stepmom that has the pills. <laughs> <laughs> it's like drinking white wine with Xanax. Uh, yeah. My mom had some Vicodin at her house that I knew was there, but it was, it, it must have been like 10 years old. And oh. I had slowly, every time I went over to her house, there, there was a bottle of it at one point. And by the end, I would take like a pill and replace it with like a Tylenol. <laughs> And now I think I think the bottle's still in her medicine oh, wow. cabinet, but there's like half of a pill left in there, <laughs> <laughs> and she hasn't taken any of them. Oh so I'm so sneaky. Like, where on earth could those have gone? Yeah. Then I entered a period. I think of I, again. I had accomplished something. I'd gotten through this really difficult surgery. Um, I felt good. Um, I had a decent job at that point. Um. I I even did a triathlon right around then to raise money for the disease that I had had. So I, I started doing pretty well. Um, it was a good stretch. And I applied to school, to grad school. Um, things were okay. Um, I moved to L.A. because I had been in the Bay Area that whole time. And again, some of these, uh, it just kept creeping up on me. Like I would go out and black out. And I remember there was one night where I went out with a friend at, at the Abbey. <laughs> it's a, and if you don't know, that's out. a wild gay bar in West yes, Hollywood. Where very people, wild. They have like naked dancers yep. starting at like 10 a.m. on Sunday, <laughs> which is like loud, like, rave music blasting and fog machines at like 10 a.m. on a weekday. <laughs> it's insane. Anyways, go on. So you're at the Abbey. Yeah. So it was, it was a nice little outing with me and my friend and my ex at the time. And so anyway, I got way too fucked up, stayed way too late, started to look for drugs, blacked out. Um, even my friend Brent left at one point and I, I woke up and stood up couldn't stand like crumbled to the ground i had sprained my ankle 
I tried to find my phone, but it was gone. And I looked it up, and what happened is somebody had taken it at the Abbey and got in an Uber and went to Palm Springs. (gasps) And there was this $300 Uber ride to Palm Springs on my phone. And I had a $40 cab ride ticket or cab ride receipt on my bank statement, even though I lived a block away from the Abbey. So there, there was just all of this that for no good reason I wonder other how those people got drunk. back from Palm Springs. <laughs> They're just like, we're going to live here now. They just probably stole someone else's phone yeah. and did the same thing. Good. Yeah, probably. Yeah, so uh, moments like that still would happen on a regular enough basis where you know, I would get some momentum and then I would just shoot myself in the foot and have to dig myself out of a hole that I'd made. Um, so it was, it was there and wasn't doing any hard drugs at this point, just pills wherever I could get them. And then I, then we broke up and that relationship ended and I went to straight to business school and that whole transition was like, I don't know, it was intense. And I went to the only thing that I knew how to cope with it. And that was finding drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll, okay, I can keep going. Should okay. I keep going? Yeah. I mean, yeah, we're just, okay. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, we haven't even gotten to the worst part of it yet. <laughs> That's crazy. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, Yeah, I, okay, so the moment that I remember that I think is probably the one that's most relevant to start talking about this is I remember waking up in somebody's bed, didn't know who they were, how I got there. It was a um, school party, grad school party, because at this point I had gotten into grad school, started grad school. Um, But after this party, I woke up the next day in this bed that I didn't know how I got there, girl I didn't know how I got there who she was but I did know to ask for drugs and I got lucky and she had it she had drugs but she had uh not coke but she had crystal and she's like this girl's wild and I was like all right that'll do and what's kind of sad is that way back when I had promised that friend I told you about that I sat in the car with uh, how we talked about when I was like 18, we were talking about how we drank different than other people. Oh, she yeah. She just got sober. Yeah, yeah. Um, that friend made me promise never to do meth because she saw what I was like on Coke. And I remember that crossing my mind. I was like, I promised Devin I wouldn't do this, but here I go. So, yeah. Crystal was great. And I really liked it for a time. Um, But in order to get down from the crystal, I wanted an opiate. So through her dealer, I got uh, heroin. And then I had ready access to it and, you know, tuition money I could spend um, just a big chunk of check, chunk of cash 
So those student loans that you're the paying off. Student loans that I'm paying off. Previous druggies. Yep. <laughs> well, it was mostly the credit cards because the cash I could use towards like things like rent. Um, no, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, it's the credit cards that I paid for everything on and mm-hmm. the cash I used to, for drugs. Okay. Um, yeah, and then I had, you know, I had no one to check on me. It was just me, single, um, and all of it just came, all of the addiction that had maybe been held at bay for a little while came out. Um, and I, I just went from, um, a little bit of heroin to a lot of heroin. And I was using it the moment I woke up to the moment I went to bed, spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars on it a week. You had your life together, like on paper, you know, cause I think a lot of times like, at least I will like associate something like heroin with like someone that's like homeless or lost at all. And it's just like, right such a loser or whatever, but it seems like you from the outside looked like you still had it together. Would you say, or how did you maintain that image? And I mean, I don't know how I maintained it, uh, but I did. And most people, well, all everyone I talked to now that knew me then, um, had no idea. Oh, you hit it very well. Yeah. I mean, they knew I was a, a bit of a partier when it came to like some of the school parties. Mm-hmm. But other than that, they didn't know I was doing heroin in the school bathrooms, wow. you know, multiple times a day. Uh, but yeah, it was a, you know, it was a prestigious business school and I kept it together. Um, there were a lot of close calls where I like left drugs on the floor somewhere and didn't know where they were. Could have been in the middle of the hallway for all I know. Wow. Um, How long were you in that phase where you were doing heroin basically all day it was i mean compared to a lot of users not that long but it was about eight months wow and then um yeah i mean through that time i would fly to interviews and bring the drugs stashed in a peanut butter and jelly sandwich (laughs) because i thought i was so smart (laughs) or a bag of beef jerky or something could have definitely gone to jail (laughs) (laughs) easily gotten caught with that I don't know I did a pretty good job with the peanut butter and jelly sandwich concoction wow so what was that like like mentally and emotionally to be in that phase where you're just doing heroin for eight months all the time and just high all the time I mean it changed over that period in the beginning it felt like I was invincible in the beginning it felt like I had finally found the tool that made me the best version of myself. I went to a conference and got high in the bathroom before, you know, the round of interviews and remember thinking I can do no wrong. Like I aced this interview. Um, I'll ace the next one. I felt on top of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember on that same trip, the drugs had run out by a Saturday night. Um, and I didn't leave till Sunday afternoon. And that Saturday night was just awful because I was coming down, mm-hmm. was withdrawing. I just got completely hammered. Um, I ended up at some 7-Eleven 
outside Chicago, um, asking random people on the street for heroin. And wow. <laughs> somebody sold me this bag of pills from their pocket, told me it was Dilaudid, but really it was this, um, also this nice young lesbian woman came up and like took me under her wing and took me to Taco Bell because she was sober. So mm. they're out there, these little <laughs> sober, clean angels. angels. Wow. Um, and she looked at the pill. She's like, dude, these are for like antipsychotics or something <laughs> that I had just spent. How, I don't even know how much money on. Um, so yeah, when I was high, I felt great, but take away that mm-hmm. and it just all went to hell. But luckily I had enough money to not, not be high for most of that time. Okay. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I, I did all right. I have to credit my classmates and friends mostly for pulling through when I probably didn't. Um, certainly no way I would have gone through that without, you know, people covering for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I realized it was getting bad when, when, when did I realize that? Um, I, I don't really, I, I don't really remember why I just knew that it, that's not who I wanted to be. That's not what I wanted long-term. Basically, you need this thing to survive. Yeah, I needed this thing to survive, and I knew that wasn't sustainable. Right. Um, and that could be exhausting, constantly having to find it and just right. freak out if you start to feel it kind of coming off, like, you know, coming right. down. Yeah. It's an exhausting way to live. Yeah, and that's exactly what it was. It was, it was everything revolved around getting the next... Mm-hmm. Um, getting the next one and like taking care of whatever I needed to take care of at school, getting home, getting high and doing it all over again. Right. So I tried to get clean for my 30th birthday, went to a psychiatrist, got on Suboxone. Um, I thought my problem was that I needed to stop doing heroin and that everything would be okay. Um, classic take away one drug and everything will be okay. Like, you thought you could continue to like drink alcohol yeah. and do other things. Yeah, I had n- I had no idea at that point that what had to happen was abstinence. Right, that wasn't even on my radar. Mm. Um, so I I did kick heroin before my thirtieth birthday um, with Suboxone, and Suboxone's like a drug replacement therapy that has um, a opioid in it, but also a, a like receptor blocker called um i forget what it's called but it, it it doesn't get you high so much as it satisfies the craving um so okay. that you don't withdraw okay because withdrawing from heroin can be pretty brutal it's like. pretty brutal it's not life-threatening as it can be with alcohol but mm-hmm. it is extremely brutal um like what like nauseous vomiting sweats what Insomnia, right, is one. Oh, yeah. Well, they call it kicking because your legs feel like they're going to shoot off your body and out the window. You can't keep them still. Mm. Um, it's like the worst flu you've ever had. Sweats, chills, sweats, chills. Crawling all over your body, all mm. over your skin. Um, it kind of go into this like trance state of not being here. Um, 
not wanting to be here. Um, so this pill that you, your psychiatrist gave you helped kind of... Yeah, it's like this under-the-tongue um, sublingual strip, like a breath strip. Okay. Um, that you put on your tongue. Yeah, I mean, the worst part of withdrawal is like, for me, is is the mental part. It's like the worst mental anxious anguish you've ever felt. Like everything in the world is wrong and there's nothing that would ever fix it other than the drug. So that was a happy 30th birthday. So you came off of it then? Well, I got out of heroin. I was still on Suboxone. Mm-hmm. Went back home for my 30th birthday. New Year's Eve rolls around and because I was not in a program, I didn't have support. I didn't tell anybody that I was doing this except for maybe with one friend. Um, I still had shit around my house. Like I didn't clean anything up. Mm. I still had my little like um, stash box full of drugs um, and all my, you know, tools. So <laughs> tools, <laughs> tools of the trade. <laughs> Toolbox. Yeah. Yeah. New Year's rolls around and I bring a, a little bag of um, crystal and I'm just on crystal meth all night mm. and then find some random friends to take me to this other party and find Coke there and drink and then ride my motorcycle home. So it's Eek. like the problem is not solved right. clearly. And it was only a matter of like a week or two before I started using heroin again. Oh. Um, yeah. And then, so what had prompted at that time was money. I ran out of my, my tuition for that semester, mm. but then the next semester's money came in and I had money again. Oh, how convenient. Convenient. It's really great when a, you know, check of thousands of dollars just drops in your bank account when you're an addict, especially. Uh, and the thing that got me very serious about getting clean or again, I hadn't even think of, I didn't even think about getting clean still. It was, um, it was just to stop using heroin because that's what I thought was the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I got my, my dream job. I applied high, did the whole recruiting process high, um, got the offer high. And I was like, what the fuck am I doing? And I had a drug test to pass. With this new job? Yes. Mm -hmm. And I started panicking. Like I went into like paranoia because I researched hair testing and hair testing goes back like six months. So I was looking up ways to like bleach my hair or like shave my head (laughs) or like put a wig on or something. Um, Yeah, I went down the deep end. And I eventually I just had to like hope that they did a piss test because well, and they I'm pretty sure most companies do do piss tests is what I found out. Like yeah. it's very rare to do a hair test. So, but that didn't, I mean, that helped my paranoia, but not really. Um, so anyway, I knew I had to get clean again. I, I wasn't planning on, going about it any other way other than just muscling through it, 
you know, like that's not like they call it like white knuckling in out in, in AA. AA. Yeah, just yeah. when you aren't really like doing a program or doing anything, you're just kind of like literally clenching your fist and having white knuckles <laughs> to get through it. Yeah, it's horrible, and that's why it wasn't working. Yeah, clearly. Um, so I mean, the story of the last week I was using is interesting and also indicative of just kind of the sadness of addiction and using. Um, so I can tell it if you want. Wait, what is this? This is where my, my great friend came back from Germany to come visit me. Oh, right. Yeah. I think I've told this, you about yeah, this. Yeah, you told me. Yeah, I think that... Would your listeners like to hear it, do you think? Yeah, I think that's... This is, you know, the last use. It's a big... Yeah. It's a big moment. Yeah, so okay. go ahead. So this is the same fella who sent me to the hospital after ODing on coke oh, way okay. back in college. He came to visit me. Unbeknownst to him, I was a junkie. So he comes. We have a nice time. Um, we go visit my parents. I'm high, using in their bathroom. Um, but it was this garbage heroin I got for this one weekend. So I was eager Can't to get back. Can you smell it? Because you're smoking it, right? I'm smoking it, yeah. Wait, so can't can anyone smell it? Because you mentioned you're doing like school bathrooms and stuff. It's No, it doesn't really have much of a smell. Oh. Um, and the smoke, you know, if you're doing it right, you're smoke, you're inhaling it all. Oh. Um, and there's not really much that comes out on, you know, when you breathe it out. It's not like weed where you're blowing puffs oh, okay. in the air and it stinks. Um. So sorry. Yeah, yeah. So so bathroom. we came back and I had to get better drugs and more of it because I had used it all. So I take Lee to this random gas station like out in the valley and he's like, What you know, why are we stopping here, <laughs> friend? <laughs> and I'm like, I just have to go meet this guy about this thing real quick. So and vague. A, and another like car parks up in front of me. I get out, go sit in his car, the other car get out and then go into the um, gas station bathroom for like a good 15, 20 minutes to get my fix. Mm -hmm. Come back out, get in the car, and by this time he's like, what just happened? Um, but he's, he's just so loving and like trusting and... Um, wants to think the best of, of you that he didn't bring anything up. Um, but I did, I was like, well, I did because I thought it was so obvious, but I also needed help. And I knew that if anyone in the world could do it, it would be Lee. Um, so, uh, this was my spring break at the time. So I go back and get all my supplies ready to go. Um, and I kick in my room for four days um, through the worst of it anyway. And Lee sleeps on my couch, goes about his L.A. trip, you know, and, and the person he came to visit was me in my, and I'm just stuck You're in my bedroom. You're kicking heroin on his yeah. <laughs> visit. Kind of, and, and he's keeping me company when he's not doing his own thing. Um, so that was sad, but I'm glad that I had him there for that. Three days later, 
it's a Sunday before I start school again, before they, before he goes home, we have a reunion with the friends that we had in Berkeley and, um, still was drinking, had a couple Bloody Marys at the standard hotel, whatever pool top area. Mm-hmm. And I remember we ordered, uh, breakfast sausages I don't really know why it was like a brunch get together. That's not appetizing. No, not right now, but it did at the time, I guess. So we didn't finish them. We had some leftovers and a couple of drinks in, I started to get that feeling of, oh shit. Like I need a craving for heroin. Yeah. Like I need my, my friend. (laughs) Um, and once it, kind of took hold I it was almost like I didn't have a choice anymore so I just went through the motions of everything I had to do in order to use again and the first of those was to get tinfoil so I asked the waitress to wrap up the sausages please in tinfoil and she's like are you sure you don't want to just put them in a to-go box (laughs) like no I want you to wrap them in in thick tinfoil please (laughs) So she what a did. Weird request. And she brought him back and I put him in my pocket. And Lee looks at me like, Really? Really? Did he know what you're doing? I think he did. And we went to another bar. I had called my dealer before that. I'd gotten cash out of an ATM before that. Went out, pretended I was getting a drink, really went and scored, came back to the bar, went to the bar bathroom. Um, was gone for, you know, 10, 15 minutes for what what should have been just getting a drink. And Lee comes and finds me, crawls under the bathroom stall, and he's just looking at me like, what the fuck, dude? You just went through hell to get rid of this. And I was like, "I, I don't, I can't. I don't know what else to do. Um... So, smoked it all that day, that night, um, and then it was, it was, I think, Monday, I didn't have class, and I just was high all day. Lee had left by then, um, and then I texted, <laughs> I texted my dad, because he had been clean, or he had been sober for a while, and I said, um, hey, Dad. I, I'm not doing so great. I think I need your help. I'm addicted to heroin. Hmm. Did he like have any suspicion? No. Oh, wow. You hid this. He had no idea. He thought I was doing great, um, in business school. Like everything was good. He came down to visit me and he's always known that I drank too much. So he certainly saw the potential for that. Um, but certainly didn't know I was getting loaded all the time. Yeah. So um, did he came down to help you? He came down to help me. Yeah. And I went to my next, I went to my first NA meeting. Um, we've talked about this at, uh, Tropical. Oh yeah. This is a they have a meeting. A regular too. meeting spot. Yeah. On sunset. Great coffee. 
Great coffee, great cookies, the yeah. size of your head. <laughs> so that's where you went to your first meeting? Yeah, and I went, I did 90 and 90 at least. Mm. Um, well, wait, tell me about that first meeting that like... Uh, I think I remember saying um, sober instead of clean and being corrected. And I was like, oh, really? Mm. I didn't know that. Um, I think I... I really don't really, I don't remember that week very well. I don't remember the first, I don't remember that time very well, honestly. Mm. It was just, I had called into school and said, you know, I used my disease that we talked about earlier as an excuse not to be in school for a week. To kind of detox? Yeah, to just go to meetings every day and talk to my dad constantly. Um, So I did that. I went to like at least a couple meetings a day. Um yeah, that sucked. I bet you and your dad like have a really special bond now because he helped you uh, yeah. get out of that. It was, sounds like he was a really strong support system for you through that. Yeah, he was. So um, that's really, really cool. I don't know what I would have done without him. Wow. Aww. So you did so, 90 meetings in 90 days? Yes. And... I ha- we had to go to a school trip right around the end of that international. And I um, I remember going to a meeting in Japan and it was just like, wow, this is an incredible program where I could travel to the other end of the world, mm. sit in a room of six people in Narcotics Anonymous. And it's the same it's the same fucking thing wherever you are. You know, the meetings are more or less the same. All the readings are the same. Like the people's experiences and like identification with addiction is essentially the same. Right. So what what was it exactly that made you like stick with sobriety and re- or being clean this time around? Because you have a lot of times throughout your using yeah. in your life where you were doing good you stopped for yeah. like a few weeks and then you went back to it you stopped da, da, da. yeah so what made it like really stick for you this time i mean that's a good question i think i don't know that i ever felt like confident in myself and in what i had achieved enough until after i finished school and got that job that i had wanted so bad mm-hmm um, I finally felt like, okay, I can actually feel okay. Yeah. Um, and obviously I don't think that's a healthy way to look at one's life anyway, is to be a disaster until you've made it and then be okay. Right. Um, but that's just part of why I felt like I could finally be clean at that point. Um, and I think, you texting your dad. I think whenever anyone asks for help, that kind of is a sign that like you really had enough, like you really want to make a change. Yeah. But the question I guess is why did I feel like finally that that was, that I was ready to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I think it's kind of the same thing as any addict alcoholic. It's, uh, being 
beaten down and done with it. Yeah. Like just to use a extremely cliche uh, meeting term, you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. It's true. <laughs> it is true. You're just miserable and depressed. And yeah. It's a horrible feeling. Right. And I think, I mean, uh, what you hear a lot is the drugs stopped working. And that's not true for me. I mean, the drugs were definitely still working. Yeah. The problem is that I guess they weren't working in the sense that they no longer gave me the um, that feeling of invincibility and like that I could accomplish what I wanted to accomplish. Mm -hmm. They still numbed. They still like made me feel better. Um, but they didn't. I, I just saw more. I saw a hint of more in my life. Yeah. So NA really helped you get sober, and then did you fully embrace it? You got a sponsor and everything, right? I did, yeah. I I fully embraced it. Who's still your sponsor to this day, right? He's still my sponsor. Three years later? Yeah. Um, he's still my sponsor today. NA absolutely saved me. Like, it, it grounded me and, and taught me the... I don't know, just kind of how to face life on its own terms mm -hmm. and that that's a difficult thing to do and that that's okay and that there's other people trying to do the same thing. Um, and it was just an incredible support system. Like I had people come up to me and take me to meetings, request, you know, uh, suggest different meetings that I go to, showed up for me. Mm -hmm. Um and then Arnold, my sponsor, um, he took me out to coffee, I think, in my second week clean or something, which is a funny story. I was crying, like just sobbing outside of a meeting once. Um, and he heard me sobbing <laughs> and just came out afterwards and was like, dude, you need, can I take you to coffee? You don't look so great. Aww. Um and then he asked me why, and I had told him it was because some girl broke up with me. And he's like, how long have you guys been together? And, <laughs> and I said, three weeks. <laughs> and he just laughed at me. Um, <laughs> I mean, that, that that's a whole nother story, but just the idea that you could be so, like, unstable and... From a three-week... From a three-week, <laughs> like, dating, dating stretch yeah. that it just knocks you completely Oh, down. I would... I mean, I would sob after, like, a three-date one with right. that. <laughs> I was like, my life is over. Now, yeah, you just, I don't know, have a better handle on emotions in your yes. life when you're sober. But, right. yeah, so... Right. Um, so how has, like, I guess... Let's talk about the positive side of sobriety. Like yeah. what's come out of being sober? How do you feel? Well, I think to continue on that last part of the story, a good comparison is that's how I was. That's the state I was in at two weeks clean, um, just crumbling at, at pretty much anything, mm -hmm. um, but still had this like resolve that I was going to be okay eventually. Um, to fast forward three years, had been in a relationship for a year and was not feeling the way I wanted to feel in a relationship and not getting what I frankly deserved. 
um, and what I needed. Mm-hmm. And I was able to see that and um, tell the person that mm-hmm. and be able to walk away saying, you know what, I this hurts and I'm sad, but I'm okay and I'm going to be okay and I'm going to be better and I'm going to find someone that really does care about me deeply um, and <laughs> like show me show me that right and and give me the love that I deserve um, and you know I that's the kind of growth growth there. that yeah. I've experienced mm-hmm. um, so I mean what else I I have a deep sense that everything will be okay now when before I didn't, you know, um, I kind of had a dread that everything was not going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Something was going to, you know, some shoe was going to drop at some point. Um, yeah. Constant panic about like the drugs panic. running out or yeah. how to get at them more of them. Or, right. Yeah. Or not, you know, not being equipped to, to deal with whatever challenge I had coming up, usually to do with fear and anxiety and possible shame and self doubt. Mm -hmm. Like all of those things were so strong and and the feelings were so powerful in me that I, um, I numbed them to get through. And now I, I still have a lot of those feelings, but I, I can say, well, that's nice. Those feelings are coming and going and they're just feelings. And I can still achieve what I want to achieve. Another important part of my story is um, when I first went to my psychiatrist, I also to get Suboxone to try to get clean. Um, I, I also kind of realized and he diagnosed some anxiety, just generalized anxiety, um, and um, began on Lexapro, mm-hmm. which. Um, felt like I actually had ground under my feet for the first time and I'm still on it, but on a lot lower dose. So that does help. Um, and I was having just like crazy panic attacks. So now Ativan is what helps if I'm going into like that tunnel vision, sparkly eye, or just like complete panic, Mm -hmm. um, or anxiety that can't, um, that I can't shake. So it's not, certainly not healed and certainly not under under control, but it's, I can look at it all and say, it'll, it'll be okay. Yeah. And I'll be all right. Um, so how at three years, what are you doing now to maintain that and keep it going? And, um, I think a lot of it is the tools that NA have given me, um, a different so, kind of toolbox. Than different the one. kind of toolbox <laughs> than the uh, the plastic straw, tinfoil, <laughs> plastic bag toolbox. What's this toolbox? This toolbox is um, honesty, open mindedness, willingness, trust. Mm-hmm. Um, I've come around to the word faith, even though it you know kind of rubbed me the wrong way at first. Um, I don't know, comedy. Yeah, I mean, and you still 
go to meetings, not yes. every day, maybe like once a week, you said, right? Yeah. I go to me- one, meetings once a week. My sponsor tells me I should go twice a week at right. least. So I've been trying to do that more often. And you still talk to your sponsor. Yep. Still see my sponsor. You go to therapy. I go to therapy. You meditate. Yes. I go to therapy. Um, and therapy is important for me, especially because it can address a lot of the issues that NA can't really solve directly. And that's stuff like relationships, mm-hmm. right? And how addiction can weave its way into relationships or... Um, Food. Food, <laughs> you know, yeah, just all the other stuff. Anything that makes you feel good, basically. Right. You would just want a lot of yeah. it. Yeah. Yep. I still deal with that. Yep. Anytime I feel like I'm like filling a hole inside of me, whether that's eating three bowls of cereal in the middle of the night or desperate for a pint of ice cream, I'm thinking I'm just trying to like fill a hole inside or of me. Or just want to see someone that makes you feel good. Right. Every day. Right. Yeah. Yeah, if, if you're trying to take something outside of yourself and stuff it inside of yourself to make mm-hmm. you feel better, usually that's a sign to me of mm, something's misaligned. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean those things need to be cut out altogether right. or, just, or bad, but it's just learning how to have boundaries. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Ice cream's not bad for you yeah. in its own right. A pint every day. A pint every day. <laughs> Could get right. become a problem. Or a pint in an attempt to solve something. Yeah. So I think with your addiction, that's we kind of talked about how that's like a huge problem right now in this country and like it's killing a ton of people. And I think more people struggle with it than we know because, like, you hit it really well, you know? So it's, like, I think people in our lives and, I don't know, could be struggling. What is, like, your, I don't know, recommendation for this super, super addictive thing? Do you recommend going to a meeting or contacting someone? What would be, like, the first step? Yeah, I I would say that, don't think of it in, in terms of extremes, in terms of commitments, in terms of if I go to a meeting or if I talk to someone about potential help, that means that I have committed to it and I have to, you know, get better tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to go use again tomorrow, that's fine. Just go talk to someone and see what they have to say today. Right. And um, you do that a couple of times, a few times. It, it will start to stick, I think, because um, it's not an on and off switch, you know, and it's okay that it's not an on and off switch. Yeah. And sometimes it takes a couple times. Sometimes you try to get sober once and it sticks, but sometimes, yeah. like in both of our cases, you have to try a few different times yeah. until it does. So yeah, exactly. don't beat yourself up, I guess, would be... Yeah, that's why if you walk into a meeting, everybody's... Um, Happy to see you and welcoming no matter what. Yeah. Oh, um, cool. Yeah, and I think <laughs> something that you brought up in one of your last podcasts, I think there's a lot of... Um, I, I don't think it's a black and white issue. It, you're an addict or you're not. You're an alcoholic or you're not. It's a gradient, you know, and you can, um, you can struggle with alcohol abuse. You can struggle with um, drug abuse, even though it might not go all the way into a kind of everyday addiction, right? Or you're not waking up with a martini. That doesn't mean you're not 
abusing alcohol, yeah. right? Yeah. And um, I think self-honesty is the thing that you brought up before, like being honest with yourself mm-hmm. and not being afraid to do that. Yeah. Um, is the only way I think you can ever start to grapple with that kind of a thing. Definitely. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thanks for having me, Lindsay. Okay. See you next time. See you next time.